Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and I'm here today with my friend and colleague, as always, Nitin Gower. Hey, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here. Looking forward to this chat this week. Not a whole lot different from last week, and maybe that's just crypto being stable, if I can use the term. But let's let's talk about what happened last week. I think there has been a revelation of some of the impacts that we're going to see from last week. And so that's what I think is a, a great topic to cover today. You've, you've raised a number of appointments earlier on that I thought were fascinating, but I have to mention a, a LinkedIn post I did during the week that I quietly smiled at. Many of you know I have a, a love yes. of cars. And, and this, this June, the SEC is celebrating its 90th year for its security exchange regulations that came out in 1934. So I posted a beautiful 1934 Lincoln Town Car. <laughs> you Gorgeous. <did. laughs> oh, and it's in powder blue and it's just, it's lovely. And I checked a few of the statistics on it and it did 90 miles per hour. It's not bad, but it's V12 engine consumed 10 miles per gallon on average in the country roads. And I thought to myself, that is a collectible piece. It really is. Then on the other hand, I considered what's happening with the SEC regulations. And I also considered what's happening with the MICA regulations. So I checked on what the very latest Porsche is, because you know I like Porsches. And the very latest <laughs> Porsche Taycan does zero to 100 kilometers an hour in three seconds. And top speed of 100 162 miles per hour, and it consumes zero fuel because it's electric. And I must say, bring on new regulations because that's what sees growth. That's what sees progression. And I think clearly that's what we need to see here. So last week saw the SEC use its very heavy hammer and go in and force Binance and Coinbase to essentially delist the likes of Solana, Cardano, and Polygon. And it also resulted in Robin Hood doing the same things. And that triggered a set of wave of selling where there was regulatory uncertainty that hit their li liquidations of stocks, of sorry, of tokens, saw some 340 million of crypto derivatives market closed and small traders investors exited their position. That continued by some of the larger groups like Jump Trading and Cumberland sending tens of millions of dollars of tokens, including 3.4 million, sorry, 9.4 million tokens to the exchanges to sell off the likes of Polygon, Cardano, Solana. And that, of course, represented another sort of pull of inventory 
you know, on those books. And there was so thin trading occurred, large supply occurred, and it followed a 20% crypto spot market pullback. I mean, from the SEC's point of view, it must be magic to watch this. From the investor's point of view, maybe this is a time that, that we considered that old saying, when there's chaos and blood on the street, there are opportunities. Let's have a look through what we think is going to happen on a broader point of view, maybe a geopolitical point of view, because America's clearly putting its stake in the ground and showing what it thinks of crypto from a regulatory point of view. And this is opening up opportunities overseas, isn't it, Nitin? Yeah, it is, and and I think I would I would preface one thing, Derek, and I, I you know with your analogy with cars, I was hoping you're going to go in the direction of the fact that they're still stuck in the in ninety year old car and and the speed at which the resource it consumed and the speed at which it ran and the modern day cars are more efficient and the faster. I thought you're going in that direction to say, hey, you need to update your regulation so you can go as fast as as the Porsche example that you sent. But, but yeah, there are, I think crypto is no longer just about innovation. I think there's economic elements to it. There's geopolitical elements to it. And if you look at what trans, is transpiring the past few weeks, and I will also preface this, which is what I started out with, is that SEC's opinion, or, and I think Michael Casey had a great piece this morning at Coindesk, is not reflective of the whole country in general. I think it's mm. just an agency that's that has made it a point to go against the crypto and some of it is not all not all of it is fud either there are some there's some truth to a few things but the the approach they've taken to especially with in in case of coinbase has been interesting so i would just say that i think there's enough noise and enough effort now in congress and lawmakers who are trying to rectify the situation and attract capital talent innovation back in the us and we've seen again with with A16Z looking to open a UK entity, it's all happened last week. We've seen enough, you know, moves from Hong Kong and Singapore trying to attract Dubai, trying to attract talent, capital, investments from the US that's fleeing, based on the uncertain regulatory environment, which is interesting. I would say, Derek. Mm. It's interesting to note that the Winklevoss twins made a gentle statement, turning around and saying that the de Democrats might consider the impact of these regulations on their ability to be re-voted back into power next year. And this is something that, of course, each party considers when they're putting regulations through. It must be clear that the it's not a clear delineation. Not every Democrat is against all four cryptocurrencies. Not every Republican is against all four cryptocurrencies. In a democracy, the two of them are going to have to work together to find out whether there is a majority yeah. that starts putting regulations in. I think what they're clear about is that there aren't any regulations in place that, that have succeeded so far. Nitin, I recall that there's some 40 or 50 sets of regulations that have been put to Congress along the way. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, there's 50 plus bills that since inception of this conversation that we've been having that have been gone through Congress. The recent one, I think, is very pragmatic. Of course, every bill that comes out learns from the previous one. And this is interesting because it comes from Patrick McHenry, who is the chair uh, of the Financial Services Committee. And then you have the Ag Committee, which is agriculture, because CFTC is part of the Ag and SEC is part of the Financial Services Committee. So it's a, it's a much more balanced approach where no longer there's a turf war. And on turf war, 
you know, Coinbase CEO, Brian Armstrong mentioned that whole thing that, hey, between these two agencies, we really don't have any clarity between what's a security versus what, what's a commodity. And this new market infrastructure bill, which I think is quite balanced, great language, great effort in terms of figuring out to say, you know, the nature of these assets as they evolve, finding the path to eventually start a security and eventually go as commodity and eventually finding a way in between when it's decentralized and giving the right set of powers and having some clarity, which I think goes above and beyond MICA. MICA did a great thing by at least putting stake in some obvious characteristics that you know, how do you treat a art, which is asset-based tokens versus stable coins. They have some clarity in that, which is lion's share of the mix of digital assets in that ecosystem. And of course, it's still lacking DeFi, it's still lacking NFTs, but it's a great start to say, you know, we have a registration process. You can, you have to do all these things. You have to have an office, you have to have an individual, and you have to adhere to these laws, especially in terms of financial stability and what they call as the travel rule or FATF defined rule. So there's a lot of that stuff which is in line with the existing financial rules and yet provides an avenue for entities to be able to operate in this newer framework. And I think this newer market infrastructure bill goes above and beyond that to say there is an a avenue for the evolution of these assets when they start out because somebody has to start them which goes back to the whole hobby test and the fact that you have common enterprise. So we'll start there. We'll give them some period of time till they become fully decentralized and then they can become commodities. And that transition of a path also Mm. rules over the regulatory elements. So there's some of these language I think I thought was super interesting as they begin to address. They also had clarity on at least some level of clarity on stable coins. And if you remember the original bill, this is when there were 40 bills in the house, Cynthia Lummis and Gillibrand, they introduced the bill which provided clarity on stable coins. It didn't go anywhere. And they've held off that because they wanted to see how this bill goes before they introduced yet another bill for stable coins. So it's, I think it's, it's all good. So there's efforts made by certain lawmakers, which I think I would take anything as positive sign, Derek, between what's happening in the US at the moment. So, you know, yet again, it's interesting because the total capitalization of this market is, for the Australian listeners, is one6 trillion Australian dollars. We very seldom quote that. And that's probably about 1.1 or so trillion US dollars. And we put that into perspective of some, we've quoted these numbers before, some $470 trillion relating to the banking and the investment industry worldwide. So in other words, it's, it's tiny, but it's the technology that they are fearing. It's the technology that they're looking at and going, wait a sec, this can instantly enable cross-border trading. This can instantly enable the democratization of assets right around the world. So we no longer have siloed control of some of the monetary policies or, or the asset holding in each country, which traditionally, of course, simply due to geography, we've had since year dot. And so those that are looking at that to regulate it would possibly see that as in fear. My personal view is that democratizing the payment system and democratizing assets on a global basis is a most fair thing to do because it enables wealth in different countries to be shared and it brings countries closer together. But maybe I'm being too altruistic here. But what we are seeing in the meantime is we're seeing some shuffle for power. And Hong Kong has turned around and openly said that we're interested in having the having these Coinbase arrive here. So, you know, Hong Kong legislator Johnny In has invited Coinbase and other crypto exchanges to establish operations in the region, offering assistance 
and hinting at potential stock listing opportunities. Hong Kong has taken yeah. a progressive stance on cryptocurrencies, actively overseeing crypto assets through regulation and formulating compliance me measures to nurture the expansion of it. And they've seen that recently with their support of OKX and Hobie in their compliance entities already yeah. participating and listing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So they've put their flag up and made their colors quite seen to say, come over, we're a major finance center, come to us. I think that's, a, that's a, also a geopolitical play. What are your thoughts, Nitin? Yeah, it is. And I used to actually work a lot with HKMA, which is Hong Kong Monetary Authority in my IBM days. I used to go there quite mm. a bit in this context. And I think post pandemic, this is, I see two things. One is I see, and I'm just going to say it as, as Hong Kong as a proxy for China to be able to test the yes. market and look into their concerns around stability and, and you know, of these new asset class and also having some level of control. So Hong Kong is seen as a test market, which still is, has, you know, some Western influence and also open market structure, which is not the, quite the case, you know, in China per se. But more importantly, I think, Derek, you're absolutely right. I think it's not just about technology. You're not just about the state of a specific asset class. This is a this has become truly geopolitical. And Jake Chavinsky, who is from 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 Blockchain Policy Institute, said there's no doubt. And he tweeted this yesterday that there's no doubt that crypto will thrive. The only question is where. Yes. And this is again in light with the A16Z opening a new London office, and the U and his statement was the U U.S. policymaker need to think hard about whether. This is the outcome they really want because A16Z is one, a very powerful and very large VC firm. But if you look at their flight into, into, into Europe and you look into Hong Kong, not only attracting this newer entities opening up in Hong Kong and trying to sort of regain its lost momentum during pandemic and post-pandemic situation, they're moving Coinbase to open shop there. And Coinbase has all, all kinds of challenges in, in the US, as, as we all know. And then more, more recently, in addition to all the names that you mentioned, the Bank of China's investment arm sort of issued a tokenized note, which translates to about $28, $30 million using UBS. So these are not just crypto. Ooh. They are trying to transform, which is what my sort of focus has been for the last decade is using technology to transform and modernize the existing financial infrastructure. Mm. So you talked about democratizing payments and payments is very complicated. It's fragmented and moving money around the world is just too expensive. So some of these experiments that are being done with some of the largest investment managers in the world, like UBS, one of the largest investment arm of a very large financial institution, trying to experiment in issuing notes on public blockchain ecosystem, I think is there's no crypto there. Right? There's no crypto asset there. There's you still using the underlying infrastructure to be able to move assets. So that's a positive sign. What's MAS in Singapore has done with Project Guardian, which is again in the same theme, is allowing financial institutions at a at a in a sandbox environment to have limited experiments to understand the resiliency of the infrastructure and financial stability impacts. I think all these are positive things that I think US should be able to do. Mm. Given the progress we have in the financial market infrastructure and the role that we play in the global capital market infrastructures around the world. So this is truly at this point in time to me, as the surfaces and what Dubai has done with WARA and ADGM and Abu Dhabi with UAE, truly a geopolitical fight for talent, fight for capital, fight for, you know, again, going after the next evolution of technology that, that can change the way we live. And I, I truly as an American think that we should take a pause 
fully understand the gravity of this and 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 be a bit amenable to not calling just US dollar as truly the only digital asset that we need to believe in because this is truly a competing infrastructure to that to, to that digital dollar in a very positive way that it provides a competing framework for the US dollar to either flourish and do better because now you have a competing priority and competing sort of uh, you know a currency that that's truly global in nature I think clearly so hey Nitin one of the things that Gary Gensler jumps up to say and I find it very infuriating and I'd really appreciate some of your clarity on it because you've worked within the payments industry for some time but he he steps up and says, why would we need cryptocurrencies or digital currencies? We already have digital currencies. We've got digital stocks. When you transfer your money, it's digital transfer of money. It does remind me of putting a set of what I used to call glass instruments. In other words, highly advanced digital instruments over the top of a 1956 Cessna aeroplane. It doesn't mean that those glass instruments uh, all digital. It's all it is is telling you that the readout from this analog thing in front of you is digital. Is that what's happening with so much of this? I mean, we're talking about saying, well, we transfer our stock digitally, so therefore we don't need blockchain or we don't need crypto assets. I don't know if he's yeah, being totally so truthful with us. <laughs> so I, I have a joke in the industry. That I think Gary Gensler is doing more for the industry than anybody has ever done. At least bringing regulatory clarity and pushing the agenda forward and and really, really shaking things up a little bit. But jokes aside, and I'm happy to have this conversation with any of the regulators, and I, as I often do, that just because you're able to see a balance on your device and initiate transaction, and that's a key word, and mm. I spend a lot of time in understanding the back office systems as a part of my role and effort to understand the challenges of the industry that industry has are facing. Just because you're able to initiate a transaction on a mobile device or a, or a web page through a bank doesn't you have essentially created a digital front, but the back office system that are involved in moving, which is clearing and settlement and, and the various hops the system would have to take, while it's digitized, I wouldn't say it has the same level of efficiency that the tokenized assets has to provide. Mm. Second thing is that I think there's a broad brush categorization of all crypto assets and comparing that to a cryptocurrency. And I do discern between digital asset, crypto asset, cryptocurrencies, that cryptocurrencies are a product of the crypto economic system. So Bitcoin, Ether, these are crypto economic system that has mining and minting and, and this generates the currencies that fuels the ecosystem around it. And that to me is infrastructure, right? And that infrastructure today, today is just like internet, which is decentralized, is resilient and it's, it needs to mature a little bit more for it to be a truly a, a, you know, a two of the force for us to be able to rely upon them to move money around the world, which again, while it may be digitized, it's not exactly digital. So I always yeah. give the moniker that the industry should, and I mean financial services industry, that includes the regulators, should focus on from digital transformation to transforming digital. It's a little subtle difference between the play on words that we have digitized enough of our ledgers, but the problem still exists in terms of cost, in terms of opacity, in terms of you know, the, the information flow that helps regulators make decisions as we, has, we have seen again and again with Federal Reserve's quest to be able to have the interest rate movements that we have seen and the challenges that it's having on, on velocity risk as well as the duration risks, which is has a ripple effect on the economy that we've seen with SVB. If I were to be able to get real-time information, I can make real-time decisions in 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 you know using the technology per se. So I think there's a there's a difference between that lens of the digital transformation. Yes, we have digitized stuff, but we haven't really 
converted the existing financial systems to truly take advantage of digital. So transforming digital is what we expect from this new age transition system. That has not set in. And second thing I would say is that with that statement to say that we only, the US dollar is digital, one, it's still a sovereign currency and it still has a centralization of impact of issuance and so on and so forth. But bigger thing is the ecosystem that's evolving all this infrastructure, all the DeFi protocol that has financial innovation built into it, all the digital rights management, which is what NFT is all about, mm. truly global in nature, ability for me to be able to transact in a truly global system, that is still missing. That for anybody anywhere in the world, any bank in the world, for them to transact and deal with the US dollar, they have to use a US bank for its clearing and settlement. So no matter where you are, if you're dealing with US dollars, you need a US bank for it to mm. do, which is still tied to a single economic system as opposed to a truly decentralized economic system that if something breaks down Solana, suddenly you see the movement of those assets coming into Ethereum or layer two. We've seen that over and over again. If there's a breakdown in technology or economic systems, you see the entire flow of those assets move into different ecosystem. And that's almost instant which will always be a challenge with a single currency of a sing from a single sovereign nation, I think. Yeah. Nitin, one last question around this, and that is that we're regularly seeing a discussion around the new Fed coin coming out. We know that there's one over 100 different countries in the world that are currently investigating CFDs, CBDCs, including those that have well progressed with CBDCs. When CBDCs come out, there's there's a statement saying, well, we won't need digital assets. We won't need cryptocurrencies when CBDCs are out. That statement is absurd because it's not considering the fact that the assets are you know, way more than just payment systems, which is what the CBDC is planning to be. But do you think that when the CBDC is coming out, there'll be on-ramp and off-ramps into the crypto industry? And in fact, they'll be complementary to the crypto industry, or do you see them as simply being binary and and not and, and being competition to the crypto industry? Yeah, so that in principle, if I were to use central bank digital currency or even stablecoin for that matter, Derek, in principle, all you're doing is you're using the blockchain infrastructure to increase the velocity and movement of these assets seamlessly around the world. What's fundamentally different with CBDC and stablecoin is the decentralized ethos of the industry. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, they're all meant on decentralization and the fact that the community governs this and any changes that happen requires the people who are involved in their own incentive infrastructure that approves and disapprove the changes. So there's fundamental sort of difference between the ethos of those two systems. So all they're relying upon with CBDC and stablecoin is providing fungibility and providing using the infrastructure to facilitate faster movement and also adopting the ethos of these transforming digital element that suddenly now I have a digital entity or digital tokenized version of, an, of, a, of a fungible asset that I can use as an exchange mechanism to bring liquidity in, liquidity out. I also have done enough research on this topic, Derek, where we have about $471 trillion worth of existing assets in the real world, which is measured mm -hmm. in dollars and pounds and yens. That is still relevant. That's still a huge chunk of our assets, whether it's homes and cars and mm -hmm. bank balances and stocks and bonds and equities. I think it's relevant. It's important for us to preserve that system because the current wealth is tied in the system as we are developing a new system. So there has to be a bridging mechanism for the value to transfer from this ecosystem, which is in, in fiat, or centralized sort of issued sovereign currencies is still a value. 
and ability for me to be able to move value back and forth. I think there's still a lot of value in, in facilitating that movement, whether you want to buy and sell and providing the fungibility that the fiat provides. So I'm, I'm of the, I'm of the camp where bridging is important. I like to bridge the two different systems. I like to do some of these things, which I, I think will serve the industry better. And I think we now have many hurdles, both CBDC stable, stable coins are, 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 are humming along as long as you give them regulatory clarity, they're, they're ready to go. They have solved a lot of problems. That's the reason why stablecoin is one of the largest transacted tokens in the ecosystem. I think there's like 7 trillion last year of stablecoin that were used to transact with crypto. So obviously they're providing value. Question then becomes is how much control do the regulators and banking system would like to have on that ecosystem? And it's a really important, if I can use the term direct choke point, that you control that ecosystem and that liquidity suddenly stops coming into this, which stymies the entire industry as we have seen with Binance going all native crypto exchange and there's no on-ramp, off-ramp, simply do sort of, you know, stay stay low from the existing regulatory changes they're having with the SEC at the moment. So this is going to be a discussion for a decade in many ways, because the fact of the matter is that, as you say, it's $471 trillion worth of assets out there. And this is a nascent technology and a nascent industry still. There's plenty of progress to be made in the development of this industry and how it may support in the forms of security tokens and in other digitalization processes, these giant asset bases of the, of the globe, bridges, transition, late latency, technology, et cetera, are all going to be part of the growth of this technology into traditional assets. Next week, I'll be coming from Switzerland and I'll give you a bit of an update on what's are. happening in Switzerland. And we'll, we'll discuss how things have progressed there, hopefully somewhat more settled down over the following week. But for now, Nitin, thanks so much for your view and commentary on it. I always appreciate it and look forward to seeing you next week. Likewise. And you know, it's your turn to travel now, Derek. I, it's, it's about time you, you leave Perth and, and travel the world and, and, and report live from, from Switzerland to see what's happening on the ground. I'm sure they're gloating. So it's like Hong Kong and everybody else will say, hey, this is an opportunity. Let's go, you know, go, go, go get some founders and, and venture capital firms to come to their country. So looking forward to that update as well, Derek. Terrific. We'll see you then. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.